Welcome to the WAVE podcast. WAVE stands for Women Living with HIV, Advocates, Voices, Empowered. The WAVE is a series of podcasts by and for women living with HIV around the world, talking about our sexual and reproductive health and rights. My name is Bikita Kasava and I'm talking to the WAVE podcast. I am the chair of the global network of young people living with HIV and I'm based in the UK. I would describe myself as an activist and a researcher because I'm now studying and I'm in some research roles specifically to do with HIV. One of the key priorities for me is for us to be better as women to be better involved in research and also to be ethically engaged in whatever it might be. So from projects to research, to events, to participation, those are the things that are really important to me. I would love to live in a world where no women living with HIV feel that they need to be activists or campaigners or advocates. We just don't need to act like advocate for anything, like it's just there, it's a given. But until that day, when women are involved and I would say young people as well because that's of course like my focus young people living with HIV generally are involved in telling our stories it just becomes sound bites and and often the tokenism can also be re-traumatizing depending on what it is that we are asked to share and we're not necessarily involved in the solutions so one of the solutions I feel would be is actually bigger institutions making more of an effort to support and build the capacity of smaller community organising groups. There is this perception of like hierarchy because one group has a structure, they're more credible, it's easier for them to receive funding, it it has so many ramifications. But then there's also the, the element of who has the access and also the privilege of being able to formalise their structures. There are certain age restrictions in the world. There are certain gender restrictions, sexuality restrictions in the world. And actually how formal or informal a group is doesn't really indicate for me, it's not the main indicator of how credible or how impactful their work is. It just illustrates how easy as a group, they are able to access certain systems to formalise their structures, to get funding streams. And I feel like there is a real onus and responsibility on HIV organisations, the ones that have like big, really established structures, to go more to grass levels and to support the capacity building of women-led organisations that may not have the same structures as them, young people-led organisations that may not have the same structures as them, not because they're incapable, but literally there are structural barriers for them to receive funding. I ran a workshop quite recently and it was advocacy training specifically for women living with HIV and I actually went through the ladder of participation and what participation really means according to different models. Understanding how you fit on that engagement model. So say for example if I give like like an actual example to bring it to life If an organisation that didn't have any women living with HIV decided to arrange an event for women living with HIV, 
didn't involve any women in the planning of the event where it would be, maybe had it at times that then just didn't factor in childcare responsibilities, etc, 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 but then asked me to go and speak at their, that event. That would be an example of tokenism because there's no meaningful involvement of women regardless of if the event is supposedly for women. Moving up a little bit on that ladder, there could be a case of, say, for example, planning the event and you invite me as Bikita to be on the planning committee, but I'm just one of seven people and I'm the only woman living with HIV. And what I would call that is window dressing because you're able to say, oh, and we had women living with HIV involved in the planning. But actually, if my vote was just one of seven, then it would mean nothing. But you would be able to say as an institution, we had a woman living with HIV on our committee. And then it goes further up to potentially delegated power. So you might say as an, as a, as an institution, OK, so we don't have women living with HIV on our board but we are still keen for this event to happen so maybe instead we'll work with a salamander trust or we'll work with a sophia forum and say let's come up with the ideas together like an an actual partnership might go one step further and say actually we have the money you have the ideas here is the money spend it how you choose just make sure it's an event that women with living with HIV will want to go to will engage with will participate and it will be meaningful and you define what that means and then the creme de la creme is that women themselves are able to actually organize that for themselves so they might be able to secure funding they're autonomous that's the ideal you can argue that it's idealistic but it's just knowing what to aim for And that just being asked to speak is never really enough if we're not in any meaningful decision-making positions on the day-to-day of that organisation or even for the planning of that event. We're becoming way more savvy about the importance of activism and research coming together. We need to have a better understanding of how the research feeds into recommendations and policy and then also how just being asked for our comments or to give a speech, a very tokenistic speech, feeds into kind of the manipulation and kind of not the proper participation part of the ladder of participation model. It's so complex in terms of like the intersectionalities of like racism and sexism. Then there's immigration status, there's income status, And I think they are all at play. So we're seen as people who can give information, we can give ourselves effectively, but we're not professional enough to analyse that information or to report on it in, in a high profile event. It's shocking. It really is shocking because there's a lot of talk about women, but I don't really see them reflected in researchers, reflected in the speakers on international events. There's a really long game, and I don't mean that in a negative way, like activism, campaigning and advocacy is really, really long. There are not many quick wins that result in lasting change. But one of the ways to get that lasting change is by being able to evidence certain things. And that's where the research comes in. I would really favour because I was always an activist first. So as activists, really understanding what it means to 
have evidence that then justifies whatever it is that we want to change, whether it's policy change, legal change, organisational structural change, like really understanding the importance of that evidence, like and understanding the why to back the action that we want. So that's from the activist to researcher side. And then from the researcher side, I know that some people are very hesitant when researchers approach them for information because it it often feels like a very transactional and one-sided thing of I'm going to take all of your lived experience I'm then going to analyze that and I'm going to pop off and get a PhD and you're never going to see me again so I definitely understand where there is cynicism I definitely understand that for me there's an accountability on researchers who are not involved in HIV advocacy to not just simply see us as a a route to their own kind of career progression. There can be a happy medium, a necessary tension, but a happy medium of those two things coming together where researchers better understand the urgency of activism and then activists and campaigners understanding that research does take time, but the time that it takes could be the key to getting the necessary change because of the the evidence that is built, the opportunity to monitor and evaluate and put forward recommendations through robust research. That's why I think that they can be really good at coming together and getting the change that we want to see. What I'm encouraged to see is that there are more peer researchers. So I am now a peer researcher on a project and I feel like that's how it is coming together where you have the activist or the person with the lived experience, whether they're calling themselves an activist or not, understanding what research is and how it can be used as a mechanism for change as opposed to an external person coming in and scrutinising, looking over and analysing a world that they don't necessarily understand or that they're just going to see in kind of like one hour snippets. That really excites me because it also is moving further up that participation ladder that I was talking about. Actual partnerships um, and potentially if the funding allows self-organising. Regardless of whether I'm operating internationally or nationally, it's really about ethical engagement and meaningful participation. And for me, that means where we do have decision making responsibilities and we really are influencing work and where ideally where possible we're actually self-organizing we're community organizing as opposed to solely being invited into somebody else's space so i'm the chair of the global network of young people living with hiv and we're also known as y plus what we are is a group of young people so all 30 and under um nine regional representatives and um what we do is lead in the youth HIV advocacy movement and one of the big changes that we're wanting to do this year moving forward is we're actually going to release a strategy so we've never done that before and we want to be able to have more of a directive role as opposed to a responsive role in some of the conversations that happen about young people specifically and HIV and show that we can have influence, comprehension, and be able to contribute meaningfully to conversations around different areas, not solely stigma and support, which is often what young people are kind of grouped into. But we want to have more of an influence in the science side.
and the policy side, as well as stigma and support, because of course it is it is important that we give our voice to that. So that's what we're doing at the moment. Our role really as well is to build the capacity of other youth networks, whether they're regional or local. Our vision is about improving the quality of life of young people living with HIV. One of our programmes is ready and it's a programme specifically for young people, especially young girls, to advocate for self-agency. So we have two resources. One is ready to advocate, so for any young person who wants to think about activism and advocacy. And then we've got another one is ready to care. So it's a specific resource for healthcare professionals and how they better need to treat people living with HIV. So it's um, just making any person living with HIV feel like they're prioritised, that they're not judged and that it's a safe space for them to be in ultimately. So if you want to learn more about the Global Network of Young People Living with HIV, YPLUS, you can visit us at www.yplusnetwork.org and on there you can find out our other contact details and resources to help you with your advocacy. This podcast is produced by the Salamander Trust with support from UNAIDS. If you'd like to know more about the issues, please go to the Salamander Trust website www.salamandatrust.net Thank you for listening.